This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, 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 welcome to episode one of With the First Pick, the CBS Sports NFL Draft Podcast. I'm CBS Sports Draft Analyst Ryan Wilson, and I'm joined by our general manager, Rick Spielman. <laughs> Remember, you can watch the show on the Pick 6 YouTube channel, get the audio version on your favorite podcast platform by searching With the First Pick. And since we're brand new, it would mean the world to us if you could like the video on YouTube or leave a comment or even a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Like I said, I'm Ryan Wilson. I've been at CBS since 2011. You may remember me from such shows as the Pick 6 Podcast, where I still antagonize Will Brinson several times a week. I've been covering the Jeffs since 2018, and I'm joined by longtime NFL general manager Rick Spielman, whose insights are truly going to be invaluable in the show. That's the whole point, having smart people on to tell us things we don't know. Rick's got more than 30 years of NFL experience with four teams, started as a scout, was the Vikings general manager back in the day. So, so Rick, let me ask you. What's more exciting for you, being on the inaugural episode of With the First Pick or being the man responsible for drafting Justin Jefferson? Because I would imagine they're, they're similar. Oh, by far as being on this podcast, I prepared more for that than I did for any draft <laughs> that we've done. <laughs> Just because I'm doing it a, a lot of this film evaluation on my own. But no, I'm, uh, I'm extremely excited to be a part of this program. And hopefully uh, me and you can give the uh, fans out there some insight on what we see and what's coming up in the draft. Well, we've had some talks, you and I, uh, over the last few weeks about some prospects. And if it's anything like that, people are going to be in for a treat because I've learned more in two weeks than I learned in the previous four-plus years doing this, just just through all your experience. And, and you're incredibly gracious, so this is going to be fantastic. Uh, also, let me do a little housekeeping before we get going since this is the first episode. Also got to introduce my man, Debo. We drug Debo out of retirement. Uh, from producing. He was in the corner office of the podcast studios. Now he's back in the booth. So Debo's here. If you need more Debo in your life, this is the place to be. Uh, what's this show going to be about? Well, we're covering the NFL draft, but not just from September till May. We're going to cover it all year round. And, and that means we'll have episodes once a week to start with me and Rick. And Rick will be a fixture every week. And then we'll expand it as we get closer uh, to the actual draft. We'll have a, a cast of characters on um, from our coworkers, from uh, insiders around the league from interviews with, with front office types, player interviews with draft prospects. So that's something to look forward to. Um, oh, and by the way, remember, with the first pick is available on the Pick 6 YouTubes, as I mentioned, and anywhere you get your podcast. So please, please, please subscribe. Uh, and in more general terms, what can you expect from the, the show once a week? And then hopefully as it expands, uh, 
mock drafts because that's what we do around here. Uh, we'll talk about big boards. And I know Rick has some some theories about how big boards should be properly set up as opposed to how we do it in the media. So that's something to look out for. We'll rank these guys positionally. We'll rank them, uh, as I mentioned, in terms of the big boards. We'll have coverage from top to bottom of all the All-Star games. The uh, Senior Bowl is the big one, but the Shrine Bowl is incredibly important to what NFL teams do in terms of their evaluation process, the Combine, of course, uh, Pro Days, and then, of course, leading up to the draft. Um, and like I said, most importantly, we'll get our insights from Rick, uh, who will give us behind-the-scenes peek uh, at how NFL teams prepare for the draft from summer scouting all the way to Mr. Relevant. All right, that's it. Chit chat's over. Housekeeping is is over. Let's get to it, Rick. Let's start with the draft order. And, and as we okay. sit here uh, on Monday afternoon, uh, still a game tonight. But the draft order, as we sit here, Rick, is, is the Texans has the have the first overall pick. The Bears, the Lions with that pick from the Rams. Yeesh. Uh, the Seahawks at four have that pick from the Broncos. Sheesh. And then the Steelers at five. Now, obviously, all these teams have different needs, and we can go through that if you want. But I just want to get a sense. If you're the number one, if you're the Texans have the number one overall pick, and you potentially need a quarterback because you drafted Davis Mills last year in the third round. He's been okay, but not great. He got benched this week for Kyle Allen. What is your thought process uh, as an organization that's been struggling for the last few years? Yeah, right now, uh, all their scouts are on the road. In fact, I was at the Miami Pitt game uh, Saturday night, which was not a very good game, but ran into Nick Cicerio out there, who's the general manager of the Houston Texans. And just knowing where that organization is right now, and they traded away Deshaun Watson, uh, they had a really solid draft, I thought, last year. But with a first overall pick, you can change the trajectory of your franchise by taking one of these quarterbacks. And you know that um, Mills is not the answer as a franchise uh, quarterback. We saw Allen play this past week against the uh, Miami Dolphins, and he's sure in the heck not the answer either. So if you're going to have the number one overall pick, you have an opportunity to take a franchise potentially changing quarterback in this draft. And the first two guys that are going to come up that we're going to have to talk about, we're going to have to talk about C.J. Stroud at Ohio State, and we're going to have to talk about the, or my little, my favorite player, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bryce Young uh, down at uh, Alabama. So I'm anxious to kind of dig in here to talk about those two a little bit and what I've seen uh, I've done some work down at Alabama. I've seen Bryce Young play in person. Uh, and it is amazing for as small as he is. He's not a big guy. He's maybe six foot. He's maybe 190 pounds. But the vision this guy plays with, uh, the arm strength that he has, the mobility he has in the pocket, the way he buys second chances. Uh, when I watched him and I try to compare him to what, guys that I've seen coming out in the draft, but I, it was hard to compare. And people are going to say I'm crazy, but that's why we do on a show, right? We come up with different <laughs> theories to throw things out there to see if they stick against the wall. That's what we did in draft meetings. But watching him operate Alabama's offense is like watching Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors operate their offense uh, in basketball. And some of the plays that he makes – on the field, and I've seen it live in person, is I'm not saying he's Patrick Mahomes and everybody wants to try to compare him to maybe 
a Kyler Murray type guy, but his vision and for how small he is uh, makes plays like Patrick Mahomes makes plays on Sundays for the Kansas City Chiefs. The other thing that really stuck out to me about him was for a guy that's maybe six foot as a quarterback, rarely did I ever see him, and I can't recall any games that I've seen him get balls batted at the line of scrimmage. So he has that ideal instinct to find open windows uh, between all those trees that are in front of him and to deliver the ball on time into his, uh, into his playmakers. So here, here's the thing, uh, and we've talked about this for sure, Rick. Uh, I, I think I mentioned to you that I went back and looked, going back to 2000 in terms of the combine measurements, and the only two quarterbacks that stack up physically, and, and I mean on the short side, obviously, and, and even light, because uh, Bryce doesn't weigh that much, uh, Seneca Wallace and Joe Hamilton. Now, neither was a first-round pick. In fact, both were day three picks. I think one went in the fifth and one went in the seventh. And neither had a long-term career as an NFL quarterback, not necessarily because they were small, but there is no precedent for it. So, And you know this certainly better than, than most people on planet Earth. If you're sitting there with the number one pick and you have to absolutely hit a home run, are you going to take a Will Anderson who feels like a Chase Young, Nick Bosa layup? Or are you going to mortgage the future on a small quarterback <laughs> he's not as thick as Kyler. He's not as thick as Russ. So you can't even lean on oh that. My. Oh my God. Well, you're going to throw CJ Stroud out and he's not even a part of this conversation. Let's bring um, in CJ Stroud. And look, let's even bring in Will Levis because he is so controversial. I was talking to a team last week that is dead set against Bryce Young and they would, they would take Will Levis before Bryce Young just because ooh. of the physical stuff. Right. I agree. Well, there's rumors out there already, and we haven't even got to December yet. <laughs> so, I, okay, just let's go back and say, I watched the tape on all your uh, comparisons, I guess, if you want to make that from a size standpoint okay. to Bryce Young, and neither of them have the skill set to play the position like Bryce Young does. And the other thing you have to remember is when you're watching these NFL games on Sunday, and we watched the game last night where – the Monday night football game turned into a Monday night track meet, the way uh, Jalen Hurts was running up and down the field. The game has evolved differently where guys like a Bryce Young have an opportunity to be very successful in the league uh, because even though he's on a smaller side, all these quarterbacks coming out have are extremely good athletes that have some mobility and are able to make off-schedule type throws. And I believe that, uh, that Young can definitely do that. And if you want to throw, we can go down the road here and throw uh, CJ Stroud into this mix because he is probably the best physically as far as uh, his physical stature, uh, fitting an NFL prototype quarterback. He has an extremely talented arm. When you watch him on tape, he can make all the NFL throws that you need to make. Uh, you know, he's he's playing now with some receivers that are real dudes that are going to be playing in the league and has always played. And Marvin Harrison Jr. is, is the next one coming. He might be all right, uh, I think. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if Alabama has the same talent at receiver that they've had in the past. So that, that was something that uh, maybe Bryce didn't have that he had the year before because Alabama has always had you know, tremendous talent at that position that a lot of first round picks came out of Alabama at the receiver position. But getting back to CJ Stroud, the one thing is that I wish at times he would get through his progressions a little quicker 
At times, he holds the ball. Um, he, Like I said, he's more than talented enough to be a starter and be a franchise guy in this league. Uh, but there are still a few holes that people are going to poke with him. And can he throw the ball in tight windows when his receivers aren't getting as open as they are at Ohio State because they're just better athletes? Uh, if you want to compare C.J. Stroud to Justin Fields, he is a better pure thrower from the pocket than Justin Fields is, but he's not the same athlete that Justin Fields was coming out. So right. uh, those are some of the things that I've seen so far between these two. So if you're watching on YouTube, uh, Debo just had up uh, my most – recent mock draft, which is based on reverse Super Bowl odds. So the Panthers were picking third there. I had them taking C.J. Stroud because it certainly feels like owner David Tepper, uh, he ain't waiting around for another quarterback. He's going to go get one. So let's let's talk about C.J. Stroud a little bit more, Rick, because I think at this point in their development in terms of where they were in their Ohio State careers, I think you're right. I think uh, C.J. Stroud is a better thrower of the football. He doesn't throw with a ton of anticipation, maybe because these guys are always wide open. But when you're trying to do the next step evaluations, because Justin Fields struggled in year one and early on in year two, and part of that was the, the offense, uh, how they had structured it around him, who was better at this point in, in their college careers, Justin Fields or C.J. Stroud? I think C.J. Stroud's better at this point as a if he does come out. I'm assuming they're coming out in the draft uh, because if I still worked for an NFL team, I'd be fined $1,000 every time I brought up all these juniors coming out. <laughs> so, But it's okay to do it when you're on the media side. But I think that C.J. Stroud is farther ahead than Justin Fields was at this time. The issue I had with Justin Fields when he came out was that I didn't know how quickly he got through his progressions. Yeah. And I thought that the best offense that fit him was that – you did play action, you rolled him out, you reduced his read. So, okay, if one's not open, throw it to two and just let him go out there and play and use his natural athletic ability. Uh, and then you saw what Chicago did with him. They finally figured out what is Justin Fields' strengths, and now they're utilizing that. And that's why all of a sudden he's went from a bust that people thought maybe earlier this year to maybe their franchise quarterback, what looks like their franchise quarterback, in Chicago right now. Yeah, he's looking great. Yeah, and a lot of it will be determined, too, on once you start this process, when you get through all the intelligence scores, the mental quickness scores, uh, the interview process, uh, that'll start separating some of these guys. But I think at this point, you're purely talking about right now what we did uh, in our December meetings is we'll get all that information in due time. But let's right now just talk about what we're seeing on tape and why we like or don't like a guy. Yeah, so uh, look at that. Will Brinson popped up, even on time, Debo. He has a question. Uh, he's the host of the Pick 6 podcast. Rick, if you haven't been introduced to Will Brinson, you certainly will. But he asked a question. Uh, has Justin Fields into the OSU quarterback stigma? Is that a real thing? Does it raise eyebrows with Stroud? Because if you remember before Justin Fields, it was Dwayne Haskins who came out as a first-round pick, and his career was up and down in Washington. He landed in Pittsburgh uh, before he unfortunately passed away over the summer. Uh, but there were questions, and you sort of hear those questions at other positions out of other schools too. Uh, used to be Big Ten running backs that 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 couldn't withstand the pressures of, of or the, the the wear and tear of the NFL. So where are you on? Is there a stigma? With quarterbacks that are coming out of Ohio State, is it a function of the offense or is that just media creation? I, I think it's you have to judge each individual player on it, their own merit. I mean, you can't just say because this guy failed um, that he's that anyone else coming out of Ohio State as a quarterback is always going to fail. 
So they're totally different skill sets as well. But I think, you know, once you start delving into the things that will tell you whether this guy is going to be an NFL franchise type quarterback is when you start digging into his background. Does this guy come in and study tape on his own? How many hours? I know they got the 20 hour a week work rule in the college level. How much time does he do on his own? And what's really interesting is when you get these guys and especially these franchise quarterbacks on the board, uh, how quickly can they process and talk through what you're trying to explain? Because the defenses they're going to see in the NFL is totally different than the defenses they're trying that they're going to face in college. And probably my biggest mistake that I made uh, was when we made a mistake on a quarterback the issue wasn't the intelligence part because I always thought intelligence made the difference in, in in a quarterback at this level. It wasn't always the athletic traits or the strongest arm. And, the, you know, I always made a comparison when I went and saw Jamarcus Russell throw at LSU. And then the next day or two, I went up and watched Matt Ryan throw. And it was there wasn't even a comparison who had the best <laughs> arm talent. Right. But what makes a difference is the intelligence part of the game and where I made a mistake is I put so much emphasis in the intelligence side of it that I didn't take into account, and you learn from your mistakes, is the mental quickness side and how quickly are they processing. So we came up with different ways to try to test mental quickness and how quickly they can process things. Like I could have a quarterback go up on that draft board and draw, uh, you know, an offensive passing scheme. He can draw the protections. Uh, you can say, okay, this safety's coming down at the edge. How are you going to make your adjustments and who you're going to throw to? And for 20 minutes, he can get up there and talk and sound better than your offensive coordinator who's trying to explain to him. Where the difference is and where we really try to hone in on it was, can you do that in two and a half seconds or less instead of the 20-minute dissertation you just gave us and do that with a bunch of guys with bad intentions on the other side, breathing down your neck. <laughs> That's a BMAC is bad intentions there. Uh, all right, quickly. So we talked about the Texans. They need a quarterback. But if you look at picks two, three, and four, and even five, Bears, Lions, Seahawks, Steelers, they don't need a quarterback. I don't think Geno Smith feels like he's proven himself. We'll see what happens there. But let's say you're taking a non-quarterback with those next four picks. Obviously, the Bears have a ton of needs. Are you again? Are you taking the layup, Will Anderson or Jalen Carter? Are you going to take a, a flyer on an offensive tackle who, and we've talked about uh, the offensive tackle out of Penn State, who's who's only nineteen. He's turning twenty in a few weeks. Unproven. Are you going with Broderick Jones, uh, Skaronski, who has short arms on Northwestern? What do you think of here? Those teams two through five who don't necessarily have quarterback needs. Well, let's talk about the Bears first, and they do have their quarterback in Justin Fields, but. I think they definitely need an offensive tackle, but to me, this is way too early to take an offensive tackle in this draft. When you have uh, Will Anderson and you have a Jalen Carter on the board, who both are probably the best players on the board uh, and they're definitely the best defensive players on the board, they can use an inside guy. They can use an outside guy. They traded away Quinn uh, to Philadelphia earlier this year. So they're going to have it's a win-win situation for the Chicago Bears. Uh, pick, do you want the edge pass rusher or do you want the most dominant player who I think defensive player in this draft and Jalen Carter who can not only play the run but also rush the passer? So now who would you Lions, want there, though, Rick, if you were the Bears, if you had to pick between those two? Uh, 
I would take either one of those. Is that the right answer? Sure. <laughs> I don't know I, if you can I, go I, wrong with it. It's harder to find. I think there's some edge rushers in this draft. Yeah. Jalen Carter, to me, is a unique prospect because of his size, the way he plays the run. But it's hard to find inline pass rushers, and he can change the game as an inline pass rusher as long as during the draft or in free agency you're able to add and the depth of this draft class are able to add some edge rushers to, to, to the mix as well. So I would probably lean towards Carter here. I just think he's too good a player, but I also like Will Anderson a lot as well. So, Rick, let me ask you this. So let's say that the, the Bears take Jalen Carter, and we saw what happened to the Seahawks yesterday in terms of their run game or, or lack thereof. Is there any thought of going from four to three in this scenario if you're the Seahawks to go get whoever isn't taking Will Anderson or Jalen Carter because you are so desperate to fill uh, that front four with players who aren't stiffs, for lack of a better term. Now, you can take a player like Miles Murphy out of Clemson, but he's raw. He is not either one of these players. He may be great in, in two years from now, but you need help right away. Would you think about at all trading up, or would you just sit pat and see what happens? I'm going to sit pat because I know someone's going to fall to me because I'm assuming right now as we sit here today, the Lions are going to be looking for a franchise quarterback, and I understand – uh, Jeff Goff has done great this year. They're putting up 30 points a game. But if you want to turn that franchise around, you have to go out and get a franchise quarterback. So I'm betting if I'm Seattle that I'm going to sit there, let the Lions either take Stroud or Bryce Young or whoever they think is their best quarterback, and then wait for one of those two to fall. Let's say the Lions break rank and maybe go and get whatever Anderson or Carter, whichever one falls to them. Knowing Seattle and John Schneider and the way they operate and Coach Carroll, that I wouldn't be surprised they, they do go and get a pass rusher. And you want to talk about some of the Clemson kids, which you mentioned. But I'm going to throw something out there that maybe people think you're out of whack. But I know the way that Seattle thinks, and they don't care what anyone else thinks. But I wouldn't be surprised if Tyree Wilson from ah. Texas Tech comes into this uh, conversation. He has a little Bruce Irvin vibes to him, don't you think? Yeah, a little bit, but he's bigger. He's bigger he's than bigger. Bruce Irvin. But Bruce yeah. Irvin was a crazy pick. LJ Collier was a crazy pick by media standards. Even Rashad Penny was, was no one saw that coming. And sometimes they've hit, and Bruce Irvin's still there, which is hard to imagine. And sometimes they don't work out, but that's a great call. Uh, make a note of that, Debo, because I, I think uh, Rick might have hit the first home run and uh, with the first pick podcast history. <laughs> <laughs> so before we move on, let me ask you about the Steelers. They're at number five right now. I, I mean, you were in the league for 30 years. I don't know. They probably had two losing seasons during your time there, uh, time in the NFL. And this is the first time since 2003 they're on pace to have a losing season. They need have needs everywhere. There's no way they're taking a quarterback. Let's say their favorite quarterback happens to be here at five. You're not taking a quarterback, right? Oh, God, no. No, he just spent a first-round pick on Kenny Pickett. He's in his rookie year. How are you going to take a quarterback? I think Kenny Pickett has an opportunity to continue to grow and be a franchise quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers if, that's a big if, if they address one of their biggest needs. And I think we're on the same page here, <laughs> although I think they have very good edge rushers in T.J. Watt, and I think they have a great edge rusher in having a career year in, in – uh, in Highsmith, but they need offensive line help and they need to go get the best tackle available in this draft to help solidify uh, that front, especially for a young rookie quarterback. And who that is, I think that's going to be up for debate here. But 
what I'm going to tell you this is most of the time now, this is uh, Omar's first draft that he's running. It's always been Kevin Colbert. And back in the early 90s, I worked with Kevin Colbert in, uh, with the Detroit Lions when I was coming up as a uh, young Blesto scout or, or combine scout. And I knew that Pittsburgh is usually a little bit more conservative, just like that pick we just threw out about potentially what Seattle would take. Pittsburgh usually goes with a for sure guy. And especially when you're this high in the draft, you want to make sure that this guy is going to be a hit. Now, there's a couple names that are going to come up, and I'm going to throw them at you, Ryan. Okay, the short-arm guy yes. from Northwestern who may be the, the, the best offensive tackle coming out but may have the lowest ceiling Peter uh, because of his sh- sh- short arms. Uh, you can go ahead and look at Paris Johnson Jr. at Ohio State, who's probably a solid starter in this league. I don't know if he'll ever be a pro bowler. And by the way, Rick, then, both those guys can play inside or out. Yes. Yeah, both those guys can play inside or out, but they really need help at the tackle position. Absolutely. <laughs> and so Absolutely. I'm going to say I don't know how Omar is going to approach this, um, but I think – that they may go out and go with a guy with a higher ceiling mm. that's still developing. And I know we talked about this, and it's uh, a little bit in the neighborhood of where Pittsburgh is. And I don't know if you're familiar with an offensive tackle from Penn State uh, that's had a very limited amount of snaps and reps, but he's played extremely well this year for the first time being so, a starter. And he probably has the highest – upside out of any of these offensive tackles coming out. Yeah, so Ola Fashanu out of Penn State, you and I talked about him. You, you actually had me going. It sounded like you didn't like him when I was talking him up, and then you did the old switcheroo on me. Yeah, he is – I don't like – I told you this. I don't like talking about these young underclassmen. I don't want to encourage anyone to do anything, but it's right. hard to dispute how well he's played, though, right? Yeah, no, and you're just going off. I'm just going off right now. I hope these kids do stay in school that need to stay in school. I think the NIL deals are helping some of these kids make the decision to stay in school. But also, if you have an opportunity, and I've talked to a lot of head coaches at the collegiate level, if you have an opportunity to be a top five, top 10, top 15 pick, a first round pick, why would you risk going back when you can go out and get your your money now, especially if you're going to be drafted that high? No, absolutely. All right, let's go to rivalry, rivalry weekend, excuse me. Uh, and this is sort of the time of year sometimes with NFL fans who don't really college football, don't follow college football, get involved uh, sort of with the crossover uh, of especially if their teams in the NFL aren't doing very well and they're looking a little bit towards the draft and are checking out mock drafts and uh, and this, that, and the other. And it's also um, not necessarily an exclamation point for the college football season if you've been following throughout, uh, but but it is an opportunity to see matchups that may have already happened this year and see how players have progressed over the course of the season. If you're interested in that sort of thing. So let's start with LSU and Georgia, uh, Brian Kelly making magic happen uh, down in Baton Rouge, which is, is except this week, except this week, he still got his way into the, to the title game. But uh, I think he's exceeded expectations for the most part. So we talked about K, uh, Jalen Carter uh, on Georgia. Um, t- give me a guy on, uh, on either side. That, that you're interested in seeing how they perform because this is going to be a great matchup for LSU because everyone on Georgia's defense is as good as ever. And Georgia's offense, we know what they're capable of doing, even though it's not necessarily dynamic with Stetson Bennett. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested just because of the, um, you know, Ringo has had, a, a, to me, uh, a, a solid year. 
I don't see him as a Jalen Ramsey type shutdown corner, but I think he's a solid corner that will be vying for his position uh, amongst four or five corners that are coming out in this draft. Uh, Broderick Goodrones is an interesting cat uh, at offensive tackle, <laughs> not as big as the uh, Penn State kid, um, but just as athletic. Uh, but I don't know if he's ready to come out yet. See, I saw some earlier tape on him. Uh, he's raw from a technical standpoint, leads to physically mature a little bit more, but he has tremendous feet and athletic ability to play left tackle disposition. I just don't know how ready he is to just step in and say, hey, we're going to draft you and you're going to be a day one starter right off the bat. I think that's going to take that kid some time. So, uh, but I'm kind of anxious to see uh, Ringo, you know, and uh, a little bit and his matchup against uh, the the receivers at Bote. Keyshawn Bote, yeah, that's right. Boutte. Yeah, because Booty Bote has been kind of non-existent this year. I mean, I'm I've been trying to search for tape. I watched him <laughs> uh, the year before, and this year has just been kind of just nothing I, I just Whoa. can't get a great feel for him you know yeah. and I know coming into this year and I don't know if it's a new offense if it was a quarterback play early that he has gotten a lot better um, but to say that he was the next Justin Jefferson or Chase that was coming out in this draft I just didn't see it no and uh, as Debo notes LSU Georgia 4 p.m. on CBS with our Jenny Dell Check that out. And um, Debo made the fatal mistake, Rick, of asking for a draft range for Kelly Ringo. He doesn't know about the uh, Spielman draft chart, where we don't do rounds, Debo. We we <laughs> sort of categorize him. Uh, he feels like a day one starter type to me, though. How, how does that feel in terms of the Spielman chart? Uh, yeah, no, I would say he's got an opportunity to definitely be a day one starter. He has enough of that ability. Uh, he just had to make as many plays on the balls in the air. He's a big corner that's going to be able to match up against big receivers in this league. He has what I call a little bit of big man movement skills where sometimes he gets stuck out of his transition, especially in his pedal. Uh, he has to anticipate a little better getting out of his turns, but he does know how to go find the ball and go get the ball when it's in the air. And he's pretty good. I would give him for a corner uh, better than average as far as coming up in run support. I liked him better. I like him better than I liked Eric Stokes coming out. And Eric Stokes has been pretty good for for Green Bay. I don't know if you are willing to take that strongest stance, um, but that's where I'm at on, on Kelly Ringo. And he's enormous. I think that that perhaps sways my opinion. And, and I'll ask you quickly, and then we'll move on to Clemson UNC. Did you watch Darnell Washington, the the six seven tight end? A six seven, two hundred and seventy pound blocking <laughs> offensive tackle that plays tight end. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> like, where do you put that guy? And is, is that a guy? Let me check the Spielman chart. Is he a guy that's not an immediate starter, but may have a chance in his rookie season to contribute on special teams? Well, I don't think he's going to contribute on special teams, <laughs> except block, if he's block, blocking, block, blocking, yeah. blocking on maybe a field goal protection. But just <laughs> watching this kid, the thing that really stuck out to me stuck out to me about him was I don't know what you call him was that old school white tight end that mm. really likes to block. I mean, he gets up into the faces, guys. He tries to finish. He's very good out in space. He'll throw guys out of the bar when he gets his hands on them. Yeah, um, but he's a little bit. Uh, clunky uh, like when a he's running up a plotter. He's running up into his routes. He's not exceptionally quick in and out of his breaks. Uh, the quarterbacks probably thinks it like they're thrown into a mattress because of his size. Uh, but he does have good <laughs> hands. I just wish 
He made a little bit more of those wow-type catches when he had an opportunity to. He's going to be a safety net because he's not going to do much after the catch. Uh, but I think this is kind of a rare thing to find uh, because there's not many tight ends that come out in today's college game that are this size, that are actually better probably as a run blocker than they are mm. going to be as a mismatch re- tight end uh, receiver uh, in the passing game. Yeah, no, absolutely. He, he's intriguing in that you don't see a lot of guys like him uh, on the football field playing tight end. All right, let's go to the ACC. Clemson uh, versus North Carolina. Clemson coming off that uh, demoralizing loss, of course. And, and North Carolina lost as well to NC State, which may even be more demoralizing. Shout out to Will Brinson, who finally had something good happen to him this year. Uh, so when we talk about Clemson uh, and UNC, I think most of the prospects are in Clemson. Perhaps the best prospect is Drake May, the quarterback uh, out of UNC. Uh, have you had a chance to watch Drake at all just in passing, or is that something that you just save until you need to worry about it? Yeah, I, I did. I was at the UNC-Miami game, and you can't help but notice him. I mean, he's a big kid with a strong arm. He's still got a ways to go yet, but he has a lot of natural tools and athletic skills for his size to work with. But I'm sure we'll be talking about him at some point next year, so I didn't really focus on him that much. But he does pop out to you uh, just watching him in a live look. Um, but this, I did the Clemson kids, and uh, this is an interesting combination of guys, especially on the defensive side. And I'm going to disagree with you on some of these guys. Oh, good. I like that. Uh, what so, do you got? So, you know, uh, the first guy that, that really stuck out to me that I liked that I don't think you had uh, very high opinions on was Trent Simpson, the linebacker. Uh, You're right. Like I did. Yeah. He reminded me a little bit of Devin Bush. And Devin Bush, they traded oh, Come on, he's like, oh, he's 6'3". Devin Bush is your size. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, tell me what you liked about it. I didn't think he was very instinctive when I watched him play, but tell me what you what you saw. Okay, I see a 6'3", maybe 230-pound kid that has tremendous quickness, uh, that has range from sideline to sideline. I agree with you, and I'll give you that, that some of the misdirection he did get fooled by. but this guy's athletic ability in space and his ability to drop his weight and change on a dime, especially if he's penetrating uh, through the gaps inside to chase things down uh, on outside runs. The other thing that I noticed, and none of these linebackers, and eventually we'll talk about all these linebackers, none of them really know how to take on with their hands or what I call play with heavy hands when they come up there and have to uh, jack an offensive lineman because they're going to have to learn how to do that uh, when they get to this level. But at least this kid gave an attempt to use his hands to get off blocks. And I thought he was pretty good disengaging off blocks and, and making some plays, uh, finding the ball. The other thing that I really liked about him, there's no question this guy is an athlete and a three down, if you want to call him modern day uh, NFL linebacker, because he's going to be able to run with vertical st- uh, threats down the seam. Uh, he's very good in zone coverage. He's going to, he has quickness out of his transition to close back to underneath routes. And I think he has a little bit of a knack in rushing a passer when they do blitz him. Now, if he gets confronted, he's going to get stoned. Mm. But with his finesse and his athleticism, he usually can create mismatches. And some of the pass rushes that I saw when he came in on a blitz, uh, he was able to harass the quarterback. All right. I love it. So we have our first disagreement. I'm going to go back. I'll watch a little more and, and there'll be a conversation to, to keep, uh, to put a pin in as, uh, I don't know, my grandmother used to say, all right, 
What other guys do you have on, on the Clemson side? Because I know there, uh, Brian Bercy, I, I didn't love, and I know there are a lot of extenuating circumstances in his personal life, but, but did you watch him and did you have any differing thoughts? Yeah. I, you know, if you watch Carter from Georgia and then watch him, <laughs> then you're like, oh, God. <laughs> right. Yeah. A- that's like going, yeah, and getting a, a, a prime rib uh, at the, the best steakhouse in the, uh, and then getting maybe ground chuck uh, when you watch the when you watch him play. But I think he is big. He's 6'5". I think he's close to 300 pounds. He's not as twitchy, near as twitchy as Carter is. Um, but he does have a knack as an inside pass rusher uh, to jolt the offensive tackle. And he knows how to work the edges. Now, he's not going to – he knows how to bend at the quarterback level. He just plays with too high of a pad level right now. And the same thing shows in the run game. The game that I was very disappointed in in all of these Clemson kids, except for the linebacker Simpson, which you, you did, was Notre Dame, because I didn't think mm. him or Murphy played very well in the Notre Dame game. But And those are some NFL offensive linemen that Notre Dame usually has. But I thought Simpson did. I think you, know, you have to take into account, I believe this kid was coming off an ACL yes. back in 2021, and then the tragic death of uh, his sister that he dealt with this year. So you have to take into that account on what you're seeing on tape. But some of the scouts, and I know these coaches are going to see a 6'5", 300-pound guy that is not stiff. He just has to learn how to play with a lower pad level, and he knows how to slip and work through edges of blockers both in the run and in the pass game. You know, it's funny you mentioned that last part there, and Debo just put on the screen where Brian Bercy was the number one overall recruit coming out of high school ahead of Bryce Young and Kaylee Ringo. And the thing that you mentioned about the size and weight that you can't coach, I remember talking to a scout last spring, Rick, about Drake Jackson, uh, who now plays for the 49ers, came out of USC. And I didn't love his tape at USC. And I got the exact same talk that you just gave. NFL teams see a guy who's 6'5", 265 or whatever he is. And he he was making some plays yesterday in the game. And that's what reminded me of the conversation that I had. And and to your point, so while I didn't love Brzee's tape this year, there are the extenuating circumstances and, and you can't coach that size. Uh, let's talk quickly about Josh Downs and then we'll move on. Um, because he, we've talked about it before. Drake may, of course, is his quarterback. He does some electric things. And, and this is the question I asked you when we talk, but it, it, tell the viewers, maybe give them a little insight. When you have a receiver, who's five eleven ish, one eighty five ish. That way. Eighty five. I saw him in person. He is not one eighty five. What is uh-huh. North or South yeah. of that? No, he's going to be 170s, I believe. Even better. So, can you take that guy in the on day two, or is, is it that a, better because you're trying to make a point to me, or is it better because you want him to be 190 because you like him? It's better both of those things. I, I'm trying to make the point that when you're undersized, it's hard to draft those guys high because of the the lack of physicality, and and I would like him to be 190 just because he's so electric and, and see him go higher. But when you're 170, 175 ish, it feels almost. It's hard to draft that guy early. It feels like an, a late day two, early day three type situation just based solely on the size. Yeah, what we used to put these guys in, if they're going to be slot receivers only, uh, because I do think this guy has some is very good speed. I think this guy can separate into and out of his cuts. I think this guy has some movement skills and can make uh, some things happen after the catch. Uh, but we put him in what we used to call a special cat, a special category where – they're going to play maybe 65, 70% of the snaps on offense when you're in your three wide receivers. Um, but also, I think this guy has a chance to be a pretty good punt returner in the league. So 
that's going to add value to him. So when you sit there and say, hey, if he can play 65 70% of the snaps on offense, depending on my system and how much three wide we're going to run, and he can become our punt returner and we can get the ball in his hands that way, that also adds value to him. But that's where you start to see these guys go, especially if this guy runs like I think he's going to run in, in that third round area. All right. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I'm going to jump around to, to Kansas State TCU. And I want to ask you about a similar type player who's actually even smaller and Darius Davis. Did you get a chance to see Darius? I did watch Darius Davis. So yes, he I is did. electric, but he weighs 115 pounds soaking wet. I'm, I'm kidding, but he's he's not heavy. And then talk about him and then talk about Quentin Johnson, who is a, a grown man, has probably been a grown man since sixth grade. <laughs> well, <laughs> just watching Davis, he is an expert in jet sweeps, and he's an expert in bubble screens. Now, other than that, I don't know if he can run a route or not. So It's like they get him on offense in a, in a situation where it's punt, return, right, punt, return, left, and let's let him go. Yeah, but the one thing in the SMU game I saw, they gave him a little jet sweep, and he went around the corner and outrun. Not that I'm saying SMU has any great shakes on the defensive side of the ball. I'm sure they have some good players, but uh, he just outran them, and it wasn't even a contest on how fast this kid is. And this kid is a punt and kickoff returner. You just don't know because when you're going through this pre-draft process and hopefully he gets invited to the combine and you can see him run some routes there, you'll go to his pro day to see how far away he is from really knowing how to run routes at the NFL level, but you can't teach this guy's speed. So he's probably going to fit for me in that special cat category, especially if this guy runs 4-3 and, and maybe even faster, at least you know what you see on the game tape. Right. But he is nowhere near the receiver that Downs is, who we just talked about. Right. But you probably may draft him just because of his punt and kickoff return skills, uh, and he can win you a game probably that way. But since you don't know what he is as a receiver, you just know he's a tremendous athlete with great speed that can return kicks. Who knows what he is as a receiver unless you're just going to use him on jet sweeps and bubble screens your, 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 your his whole NFL career, which ain't going to happen, that he's going to be a Saturday-type <laughs> guy, but someone may get a steal out of this kid. And then you look at Johnston. <laughs> I think this kid, before it's all said and done, is going to be the best receiver in this draft. I'm his size – his speed, his athleticism. When I watched him on tape, he looked like a little man in a big man's body. The way he can drop his weight and get into and out of cuts. The one thing I want to see him clean up of, I know he had a high ankle sprain here towards the end of the season, uh, but he does have some uncharacteristic, maybe concentration type drops. But I think this guy is a extremely talented athlete for how tall he is. And he's not stiff. I mean, when you watch him, when you watch him break him down on tape, he can actually drop his weight like a little receiver and get upfield after the catch, and he has great speed. And he's an explosive playmaker with the ball in his hands as well. So I think this kid has an excellent chance to to uh, to be, by the time this is all said and done, the best receiver coming out in this year's class. Yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, Debo just put up the, uh, the graphic where I had – the Packers taking Quentin Johnston at 17. He may be long gone by then because to Rick's point, there's a, a, a very real chance. It feels like that he could end up being 
wide receiver number one. Uh, all right, let's go quickly through. Uh, yeah, you said he's Clay's Chase Pool. This guy is way more talented athletically no. and not as stiff as Chase Clay's Pool. You got to read the fine print. Johnson's above the rim playmaker whose athleticism and contested catchability reminds us of a more consistent Chase Claypool. Um, but Rick doesn't like that comparison. All right, who, who's the comp for him? Oh, boy. That Chase. was a tough one. Yeah. I, I don't want to put make a monster out of this guy yet because <laughs> <laughs> that's why I said Chase Claypool. I was trying to be trying to you know, set the bar low. Uh, he could he clear that bar being six, five. All right, let's go through quickly. Uh, I'll just mention a player from each of these games and then we'll move on. Cause uh, there's another, uh, a segment I want to get to that. I think people will enjoy the Purdue Michigan. Let's just talk about Blake Corn real quick. The running back. He does have a knee injury. It limited him last week. He suffered it in the Illinois game two weeks ago. Where are you at? I, I tell you this, and I tell other people, I, I have a hard time evaluating running backs. In turn, I can tell if a running back's good, but I don't know where NFL teams view them based on, on the criteria they're looking for. Where does Blake Corum rank for you uh, as an NFL-ready running back? Yeah, I, I haven't gotten through all the running backs yet. I've seen most of the top running backs, but well, I mean, this kid is a 5'8", 210-pound fire plug. Uh, that is best running between the tackles. The thing that I really loved about the kid was his vision and patience in line, and he has an excellent burst through the hole. He's one of those guys that goes from zero to 60 initially, but we'll talk about the negative coming up here. Uh, he has very good balance off contact, but although uh, he moves forward, he's not a pile mover. By that, I mean he's not overly explosive once, he go, once they hit him. He's not going to move the pile going like this. Mm-hmm. Um, Two things that he's going to have to prove uh, during this pre-draft process is there's no question about his inside uh, run ability and his vision. But I really have a question on how fast this guy is. Now, he broke a long one in the Penn State game and took it to the house. But I saw in the Illinois game, he caught a screen and got it upfield and had nothing but daylight. And they were able to run him down from behind. Uh, and he's, I think he only has 10, 11, maybe 12 catches on the season. They don't use him on a lot of routes out of the backfield. So can he be a viable receiver out of the backfield? When you watch him catch his few attempts, he's more of a body type catcher, although he didn't drop any. But I just don't know if this guy has the top finish speed. He's a zero to 60 guy, which I mean from zero to 20. He is lightning quick, but he kind of levels out the longer the uh, play extends down the field. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I think he's going to be fast enough because I saw it in the Penn State game. But I really never seen him break it to the outside and just outrun an angle. Although if he gets squared up with a DB or a defender in space, he's going to make he's going to shake and make a myth, miss because he does have that type of elusiveness in the open field. I just want to see how fast he can run, and I want to see how good of hands he has out of the backfield. Yeah, no, that's that's great. That's great insight. All right, let's talk quickly uh, about the USC Utah game, and in particular, I just want to ask you about the tight end Dalton Kincaid. He's twenty, just turned twenty three. I don't know if that matters in, in terms of the process uh, of bringing him on to you know four year contract or five year. Should he end up going in the first round? He's I, not going in the first round, so just keep going. Four year contract. <laughs> <laughs> so I I love this guy. Like I think he's better than Trey McBride in terms of where I had him ranked coming out. Uh, Trey McBride came out last year. I think Trey was the the first. Tight end taken? I'm pretty sure. I don't think one went in the first round. He went in the second round to Arizona. Um, where are you on Dalton Kincaid? Because he's, he's a fun player who's had some huge monster games. USC he had a huge game, and he had another game uh, where he had over 120 receiving yards. Yeah, no, this guy is a mismatch in the passing game. I will agree with you on that standpoint. 
Uh, he's a very good athlete upfield into his routes. He has tremendous hands. He's another one. It's a snatch and pluck guy that catches the ball outside of his framework and can make adjustments to off-target throws. You've seen a couple of times him running down a seam and high-pointing the ball over top the linebacker. Uh, he is athletic after the catch. He'll dead leg a defender in space, and uh, and he's quick. He's got a little bit of a burst to get upfield yeah. after the catch. Um, the the issue that I have with him a little bit is the run blocking. I, I'm not going to say he doesn't give effort. He's more of a, a push and pester type guy that will <laughs> pester his way into some production every now and then. And but, they ask him to do a lot of run blocking too. Yeah, and he's not he's not not willing. Uh, he's just not strong enough to, you know, if he's going to have to block guys up at this level. But he does. I was really impressed with his receiving skills, and I was really impressed with his athletic skill set after he catches the ball. So uh, USC's on the other side. We talked about Drake May, who is uh, not eligible to come out yet. Neither is Caleb Williams. Have you had a, an, a chance to get, to get a, a, an eyeball or two on him, or, or he's not yet on the radar? Well, he hell, he is on the radar. I mean, <laughs> how can you not notice the guy? He's going to eh, win the Heisman. <laughs> but he's I, but this not from an evaluation standpoint. But I did like the uh, little receiver, uh, Addison. If you want to, uh, yeah, let's talk quickly about, about Addison because Addison feels like he's in the same category um, as Josh Downs out of UNC. I like Addison better. No, still totally two different guys. No, what what do you mean? I think Addison's a first round pick. I think Josh Downs is probably a late day two, early day three guy. What are yeah, they? But how not are they the different? Same receivers. Oh, this, I think Addison can play outside. He can play inside. He reminded me he has speed. It and you know I know he got hurt and is injured. And I think it was the Colorado game. He only had one catch for two yards. So he had to have a big game at UCLA, and that was a game that really popped out to me when I watched him. Uh, I think he has excellent speed. He is a very good route runner. He can separate into and out of his breaks. He has very good hands. He is quick and elusive after the catch, and he has home run speed uh, when he catches uh, when he gets the ball in his hands and he can elude a defender in space. He just needs to get stronger, and he's not. A, he's a thinly built guy too. This guy's game, and you can call me crazy if I want, reminded me a little of. Uh, and I'm not, I'm, I want to say this, uh, Devontae Smith, when he came out of Alabama. Okay. That's, I mean, I don't think Jordan Addison's listed as six feet, uh, on our scouting report. I don't think he's that tall. I haven't talked to anyone, so I'm not sure. No but one's I, that tall on your scouting report. They go to the combine and they're all five, nine by the time you get a measurement on them. <laughs> by the way, my scouting report right now is that I'm six feet, 175 <laughs> as well. Both those are, are, are huge lies, but I love Addison. And I meant, I, when I say he's similar to Josh Downs, I meant physically, they play different positions for sure. But I think in terms of when you see them, they're not, the, they're not Quentin Johnston, for example, they're, they're not hulking figures that that loom over defensive backs Addison plays with better length whether he's taller or not he has better length than Downs does no I agree with that and I think Addison's going to be the he'll be the separator in terms of the guys in that physical group there'll be Marvin Mims there'll be Josh Downs uh there are a couple other receivers that that size that feel more like they're not going to go in the top 50 end up going 75 to 150 or whatever. All right. So that, that was fun. And we'll circle back to, to see how these things go next week. But now it's time for a segment that we like to hey, call. Can we narrow it down 75 to 150? That's like, <laughs> that's a pretty wide, but we'll get into that. I know in future podcasts. Yeah. Hey man, it's November 28th. We've got a long time to go. We got, we got to, uh, we got to stretch our legs here. Dude, uh, it sounds like, uh, yeah, the way we're talking, the draft's ready to start tomorrow. And I get nervous when I, when I start putting, 
specifics on, on like draft position because I know that you that's one of your pet peeves. So I'm trying to keep to the to the the Spielman chart, which uh, we'll have to publish so people know what we're talking about here. But now, Rick, it's time for a segment we like to call Rick's picks. Yeah. <laughs> There's some good and there's some bad. <laughs> well, this one's good. And I mentioned at the top of the show, and you very politely said you enjoyed being on this podcast, but the, the alternative was drafting Justin Jefferson. So Justin Jefferson, as we all know now, was the fifth wide receiver taken. Henry Ruggs went 12th to, to Las Vegas. Jerry Judy went 15th to Denver. CeeDee Lamb went 17th to Dallas. And then uh, I would imagine you were quite nervous with the Eagles on the clock at 21. They took Jalen Rager. Uh and still available, Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, LaVisca Chenault, and, and K.J. Hamler. Can, can you take us through, first of all, how nervous you were <laughs> as you were sitting there um, <laughs> and J.J. was still on the board, especially with the Eagles, and, and then how you came to the decision to, to pull, the, pull, the pl- uh, pull the trigger excuse me, uh, on drafting Justin? Well, the decision wasn't that hard to pull the plug on that one. <laughs> Just to be honest with you, I'm going to sit there like we had a stew over it. It wasn't. <laughs> But I, I would tell you, that was a unique draft because that was the COVID year. So uh, you weren't out scouting games. Um, you know, there was very limited. You can go to a game, but it was like you had to sit that, you know, away. You couldn't get interact with players at all. I know most of the schools were shut down as far as scouts coming on campus because they didn't want the COVID to spread. Uh, it was very limited. There was no combine, I believe, that year. Uh, there was pro day. Uh, so it was very, very limited on uh, what you were able to do through your normal draft process. Um, but the interesting thing about it was when we watched Justin Jefferson, we watched him. His, the year he came out, he was a slot only because they had some good receivers on the outside. And we thought he really excelled, excelled in a slot for a tall athletic receiver. Uh, the year before, he was on the outside and was just – Maybe a good receiver, but not what he eventually ended up being, uh, what he is right now for the Minnesota Vikings. So he evolved. So we spent a lot of time uh, through our draft process. I remember myself and George Payton, who's the uh, GM in Denver right now, actually moved into the JW Marriott in uh, Mall of America in Minneapolis. And we were the only two people in the JW Marriott. And the reason we went there was we were able to gather together uh, with mask on to apply to all the NFL rules. But we had a conference room and we had the bandwidth that all our coaches were different places in the country. All our scouts were all over the place. So we had maybe 15 to 20 people on this conference call, but our technology enabled us to, for me to push out video to everybody's screen and you run the clicker back and forth, so we're all watching it at the same time and discussing it. And I remember Gary Kubiak was a huge, huge fan of Justin Jefferson and thought he was a rare prospect, and, and he's seen a lot of pretty good players, pretty good <laughs> offensive players through his career. So as we stacked through the board, we thought there, you know, we needed a receiver. Uh, you know, we tinkered around, I said, with trading up a little bit, mm. but – when you're in a draft, you know, and we ended up just staying there, and we had uh, a lot of offers uh, when Justin fell to us. I mean, I don't know how many calls we fielded, uh, but they were really quick phone calls. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank so you. Look- Maybe we'll, we'll talk in a second round. But And you can see that, uh, you know, they had it, I, I believe, uh, on, on the 
whatever the social media on when he fell to us and we were sitting there all in our homes and it was uh the draft sometimes it's luck and I, to be honest with you and I mean you can evaluate the player and fortunately we were right on Justin Jefferson but you also have to have luck in the draft and have the board fall to you and that was a scenario where you hear that term yeah the player fell to us uh and we were fortunate to get him all right, let me ask a question. You don't have to answer it if it's a state secret, but how high would you have been willing to trade up for Justin Jefferson? Because these wide receivers started coming off the board right around 12, 13, 14, 15. We, we, we started to get a little nervous when Lamb went to to Dallas. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and we knew we had our sights on Justin. So we made a couple of phone calls, but, you know, uh, there was not a lot of interest uh, in moving up. And the other thing that you really have to be prepared for was after Dallas took Lamb, and I don't remember the exact order, but from Lamb all the way down to Philadelphia, I don't believe there was a receiver that went during that time, was there? No, um, it was, I'll tell you real quick here, it was, look at Debo on the stick. So CeeDee Lamb goes 17th, and then Austin Jackson, Damon Arnett, who's now out of the league, Caleb on chase on, and then Jalen Rager at 21. And then of course at 22, so you guys take Jefferson. Yeah. So when you look at that, you see that little run Denver took Judy, then you see CD lamb go to Dallas. But when you're deciding whether you need to move up in the draft or you don't need to move up in the draft. Okay. Miami, I think we felt in Vegas and Jacksonville, and we thought the next threat at the receive that would be able to take a receiver was uh, Philadelphia. So that's when you start saying, do we have to trade up above Philadelphia uh, to make sure that we get our guy? And like I said, we called a lot of those teams in front of us. Uh, we weren't able to get a deal done that we felt was a fair deal for both sides. So we ended up just staying there. And it reminded me, and this is uh, for another story, is when we sat there and Adrian Peterson fell to us in the draft, uh, which is a whole other interesting story on how you don't overpay sometimes. And sometimes if you just stay there and the deals that you do that you don't do sometimes are the best deals. And we were very fortunate that uh, Justin did fall to us. But if he didn't, we did have an option B that we really liked. All right, let me ask you, uh, and again, you don't have to speak in specifics if it's if if it if you don't want to. Were you nervous, number one, about the Eagles taking Justin Jefferson? Well, you're always nervous about it. <laughs> because yeah, they you talk about about six teams that we were nervous about taking Justin Jefferson. And let's say they had taken Justin Jefferson. Did did you have a backup plan at wide receiver? Or we, do you, were you yeah, guys playing on you still were gonna take a wide receiver, or there's another position you might target? There was another receiver on there that was still on the board that we liked. And All right. I would just yeah. That, we'll leave it at that. We'll leave, we'll leave the uh, the viewers wanting more. All right, Rick, I feel like this is a pretty good inaugural episode. Uh, I've been a part of worse uh, episodes on the podcast, so I think that's a win, uh, mostly because you're part of it. So uh, you made it incredibly interesting. So that's a wrap. Episode one is in the books. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us a thumbs up on YouTube. And if you enjoyed it, tell a friend. If you hated it, tell an enemy. Uh, either way, tell somebody. Uh, Rick, thank you again. I look forward to talking next week. Thank you, Debo, and we'll see you guys next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 